Thrones on the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Welcome back to On the Table Gaming, episode 58. And with the arrival of 1.5, we figured who better to come on the show to talk about these amazing changes to the Song of Ice and Fire miniatures game than none other than Michael Chanel, the Simon Games designer for A Song of Ice and Fire the miniatures game, and Fabio Curry, the, the lead game developer. So both on at the same time welcome to the show guys what's up <laughs> <laughs> hey guys i mean chase you're the one that chose to use your second monkey paw wish on this one so you know that's on you <laughs> oh no uh so how do we control all this awesome i don't know but we're gonna have to keep it we'll keep it focused on these these new changes and uh man you guys have really been working hard because there's a lot here to unpack and it all looks so good. So I guess the first question would be, uh, how long have you guys been actually working on this? What does a, a development cycle look like for something as comprehensive as this? Well, you know, it took us a while to actually, uh, you know, get the PDFs and everything generated. So I would say that probably a good, like, you know, a week or so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Facebook conspiracies are true. That, that I say Facebook conspiracies like one dude out there on the internet, but... I mean, um, I guess break out your tinfoil hats. Uh, <laughs> if, we were, if we were that efficient, then... Wow, that's crazy. But uh, <laughs> um, that's why Fabio hasn't been getting any sleep. It sounds like that. It must be uh, he's just been nonstop working on this. Oh, I mean, even seven days of no sleep, that'd be insane. So <laughs> the thing is, like, these changes, well, these changes are based in data collected since, like, even the first major events that, you know, uh, took place with the game. So, you know, the game has been out at this point around 18 months. We, you know, again, we gave the, the game about six months to kind of gestate and see where things were. And then we started collecting data and going, okay, is there anything that needs to be like majorly revamped? Is there anything that we want to be, pay attention to? So even that process started about a year ago, you know, just wow. keeping an eye on, keeping an eye on things mm -hmm. and then just kind of going, okay, these are, you know, the trouble nodes to like keep out for. Um, these are the things that I thought were going to be a problem that absolutely turned out not to be. <laughs> and, you know, just moving forward and refining things since then. Um, because, you know, it was a new game system and everything just to see. But, and the thing is, I'm, I'm even like, that's, that's just, this is before Fabio even worked for us. That, you know, we, we had the, the general like, okay, we don't know when we're going to look at revamps, but we know at some point in the future you're going to have to. I mean, that's every game system. Whether it was going to be like, you know, in a couple years when like a second edition or something came around, but I'm not a huge fan of that idea. This is more so like, well, we just want to do some like rolling updates and everything. We did our kind of our test run of this back in May of last, this year or last year? Whenever the CMON, it was this year, CMON Expo. See, again, years run together for me. Um, <laughs> where we did like the, we did, okay, these are some units that we just want to try some minor updates with. And even at that point, we were looking ahead with um, how we were going to do things. Um, and what things we wanted to look at. And even then, like when we're designing and revamping, not not necessarily revamping, because we can't revamp something that hasn't been released yet, but when we are doing more checks for factions and items that have not been released yet, even then, some of the newer things that are coming out that have come out recently and everything, we're all built with, you know, 1.5 in mind. Like, you know, Fabio can talk to you about this, the Baratheons, which is basically um his kind of little baby faction, uh, because I have voiced my opinions of Stannis in them. <laughs> yeah, they were they were constructed from the ground up with 1.5, you know, um, in mind. So Fabio, you can you can carry on that. 
Um, I guess um, something that Michael said in the beginning, which was we always keep an eye open. And once you do find something that you think might need fixing, I, I don't like to say fixing, but something that you could make more interesting, the answer is how. Question, I mean, is how. And that's, I'd say, the hard part. Like, what do you change? How do you make it more interesting without it losing its original concept of how it should perform or what this unit or card or whatever it should do. It's also, you know, a matter of, you know, uh, we do keep a, a look on like, you know, community focus and tournament data and everything, but we also have to keep a mind forward with, okay, this is how this thing is performing now. But when we introduce a new element that we know is coming out, how is that going to shake things up? You know, like scorpions, for example, we had to build them around the fact that we knew that like, you know, Othel Yorick was going to be a thing that changed how they worked. So, you know, the data we get when those things are initially released is only carries so far when we know that like these things are coming on the future. This commander is right. going to exist. This attachment is going to exist. And the community can have a uh, a strong response sometimes when they don't have that larger perspective. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I can see how it'd be hard to, you know, to get necessarily data on just the release of it, you know, without a uh, while well, it's in that vacuum. Uh, Fabio, is there anything, you know, so you came on at some point during this development process for 1.5. So if people, you know, absolutely love the changes, they should send their their emails to to Michael. And if they're they're upset, if you're devastated by these changes, you hate panic or whatever, we should reach out to, to you. Is that how this works? <laughs> uh, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, please, through uh, uh, official places because sometimes <laughs> we just get like uh overwhelmed with like messages and it's hard to answer everyone and anything i say um out of official um uh, because then it's not me it's simon saying it right so if it's in the forum then it's an official location if it's in the faq mainly right because that's something the whole team went through and read through and we all agree and that's how everything should be Right. I would hope that our FAQ is official. <laughs> yeah, yeah I think, exactly. You know, that's a, that's a so, really great point, though, about uh, you know getting contact. I think you and Michael have been such a, a great visible component for the company and interacting with the community. Um, but the community is thousands of people strong, and so uh, you know that must be really interesting. Sometimes when people like individually tag you or are messaging you, I might be guilty of that every once in a while myself. You know, not getting overwhelmed. So if we want to look for like an official interaction that interaction would be best had on the simon official forums yeah definitely the the simon forums are the way to go because there we oh, the, we the can only, actually speak yeah. like i said once again officially well and so you made these awesome updates and maybe we could jump right in even with lannisters now i know this isn't the case but i, I can't help but feel you made some of these changes to lannisters uh, before you knew that i was switching over to free folk because when I was at PAX last year, I bought myself a ton of Lannister halberdiers because I thought that was going to be like the hotness. And, uh, you know, I didn't get to play them as much as I liked. Free Folk came out, I switched over to them. But now we've got, you know, a small quality of life buff to, to halberdiers in their increase to attack profile, giving like a little bit more teeth. And I think with the panic changes, like this makes them a lot more survivable. So they actually like are sticking around to do damage. You know, any other uh, thoughts or, or what was you know, kind of behind the decisions to upgrade some of these units like the Halberdiers or really any of them, the Warrior Sons, the Kingsguard, any of those Lannister units? Well, I'll start uh, with a little tangent. I'm sorry. 
but the halberdiers main buff is actually through the charge rules and how their set for charge is actually going to perform uh significantly significantly better oh interesting great point yeah so it's actually gonna be harder to um get them get from the corner flank. cases yeah um but apart from that i think that the the halberdiers of and they're just their unit card that little stat buff uh, is just enough to give them an edge and we'll see how it goes i i think they don't need any more changing i actually um, think the halberdiers are like one of the best poster childs for the the type of category of change that they're in because it's just they were on the edge of you know like you could take them and they performed okay but you know okay is only a certain level like you want things to feel like really cool you want things to feel like rewarding for being taken and the halberdiers were just on the cusp of that they just need a little bit more and that's like you know okay they got an additional attack die at their ranks and a plus one morale and that was all the changes that happened to them and, and i think i think that's what the reception so that happened there. yeah and i think what's so cool is that i mean that's what i've been enjoying i know some people have had responses being like well these aren't suddenly like the you didn't make it like all powerful broken like i'm not going to take this but most of your changes I've found, I'm sitting here going like, huh, like, yeah, I might take that now. Or it's like a, it's a thought process. Like I have to actually think through it. It's not like a, hey, this unit got changed. Now I'm always running that. And like, I think that really speaks to the subtlety of how you guys balance things in that you actually made them balanced. <laughs> like I now they actually get more offended at units that are, uh, that are auto include than anything else. Like I, I like making it so like you can just play whatever you want to play. But I, I have a deep-seated uh, issue with anything that is ever viewed as like, well, you automatically take this, and that those are the things that will I will target, you know, more than anything else. Is auto includes that's 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 my hate word. Well, then maybe skipping down to one that is not necessarily an auto include, but now it's like, boy, this is a really strong unit with some serious upsides and some serious downsides in the uh, the Lannister Kingsguard. So the Kingsguard are by like design, and I say this from like to say having played war games all my life, that's one of my favorite type of like units to have is like this is gonna make the focus of the battlefield here. And I will be fully honest. Um when we were making these changes to them, this was purely something to make them kind of more accessible, I believe, to more of the player base, because we went really back and forth on these changes here. Uh and Fabio can absolutely attest to this. Uh when we were you know doing our data collection and everything and play testing on these because these change like changing that unit specifically made us really nervous because they're, they're okay people are going to have their opinions on this and everything but they were before like even 1.4 and before these changes they were really strong you know so i think you know in the the u.s meta that's what's really weird is that people kind of overlook the king's guard and that's that's something that is kind of like oh well like you know it's just like almost like a mantra like oh you don't take the king's guard they're not competitive but outside of the U.S., uh, the Kingsguard are, are in some regions fielded quite heavily. Right. Actually, like data from, you know, uh, Singapore and everything, they have actually are a, a tournament winning army. <laughs> um, and that's that's the as 1.4 tournament winning without the, the new changes that you put in. Right. Yeah, that is that just talks to like the, the risk aversion nature of, you know, of people and everything. But. You know, there are there are a couple different methods that we were that we tested with the Kingsguard, like playing around with them to, you know, shake things up. 
and you know again super happy with the ones we went to i remember like fabio when when we had suggested the removing the banner limitation that was actually the one that we we had to test thoroughly more than anything else to see like okay what is what impact is this going to have and yeah, uh, that gave but, me lots of <laughs> nightmares <laughs> well it's because like it's like with so many things people are people look at like okay what's the technical like worst case scenario that this is going to cause and you know they apply that as becoming the standard which right. you can't you can't do in your data collecting you have mediums for a reason and everything you can't look at fringe case scenarios but you can you always need to look at like okay what's the maximum potential that this could be used for but you also need to keep a clear sight that that is the maximum optimized potential versus what's going to happen in the standard play right that's a Fabio problem as well, because that's developed. <laughs> so now they now they can actually be healed, and they get the you know the unlimited use of their banners. There, it's not you know you don't remove them from the game. Um, that's going to be a, a pretty fearsome unit, and it's so cool that now the the sort of the negatives of bringing Joffrey, you've got this like really like focal center unit, elite unit that's going to be you know terrassing around the battlefield, hacking into people fearlessly. But if you can hammer it down. Um, that's a pretty central piece to lose. So I don't know. That's another really interesting choice. I think we're going to see a lot of lists, especially in the U.S. meta, where like Joffrey now might be uh, your 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 B list or your backup list. You bring Joffrey, you see what the enemy has, and that might be your drop into uh, quite a few scenarios. Actually, the thing is that Joffrey Joffrey's drawbacks exist because his plus sides are very very strong. Yeah. Right, and th that's why you put drawbacks on things. Of course, it fit his flavor as well, but that, that was not the, the main reason. And the thing is, the Lannisters have the tool set to mitigate these downsides, and that's what makes them very dangerous. Mm -hmm. So that was a tough choice that we did have to work a lot on, but it, it, it's in. <laughs> but I think, you know, that's, I don't know, that's just a cool thematic unit. These guys are, you know, legitimate tough guys, and they're going to have a really cool role in the battlefield. And it's a compelling choice. I think some people might still be a little bit hesitant, uh, you know, a little bit nervous, but I think it's it's definitely a clear choice now because using the right hands, these guys are going to be terrifying. I have no time for people that are held by fear. <laughs> well, that's like the, the you know, that would get into Warrior Sons here. So, so uh, you know, you guys did a complete rework of the Warrior Sun. Battle prayer now, each time this unit passes a morale test against one faith token, it may expend a faith token to do the following. When this unit attacks, before attack dice are rolled, the defender becomes panicked and vulnerable. Or when this unit is attacked before defense dice are rolled, this unit gains plus one to defense save rolls for this attack for each of its destroyed ranks. Man, they already have four plus armor. These guys could be up to two on their last ranks. They're going to be sticking there in the thick of things. Um, what was the thought behind kind of reworking the Warrior Sons? Well, uh, a fun fact, this is actually one of their initial design versions. Huh. And, well, they were pretty scary. And at the time, we did um, keep changing them until we found something that was more comfortable. And we still felt it was in their role. But they were at the kind of low end of eight points. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to keep them at eight points. So we changed them back to uh, an alpha version and it's working, right? And we tested it and we're safe and comfortable, especially now um, because since these are one of the, er you'll notice that most of the changes are to very early units because 
there was less stuff already created when when they came out, even though there was already a lot and we had good numbers and um, many factions. We now we have even more, right? And we can see that they perform well like this. This was one of those situations where it was again, like like Fabio just said. Um, you'll notice a lot of the tweaks or whatnot are to early releases and things, and that's mainly because back then it was a kind of mentality of if you're unsure about something, err on the side of caution because we don't want anything to be just like drastically overpowered. Uh, so if you're if you were ever in doubt about something, like okay, you know, could this like this number be a three or a four? Usually we would kind of err on the side of caution and like just keep it lower rather than risk something overpowered. Um, in this case right here, this actually led to a a late stage rework of the Warriors Sons, where they were the current form that was released. This here is actually almost like a straight revision to uh, I'm not gonna say the direct previous version because this is kind of amalgamation of a couple things they did, but. It was basically done like again, like things were taken cautious before, but also you kind of get a better feel now for once the game came out and you know everything was developed and everything, what people value points at, like hmm. what people kind of, what the certain threshold to a six point unit should be, a seven point unit, an eight point unit, ten point unit, and this was one of the cases that, as we've talked about before, we we make units kind of designed to fit a role in the army based around like this is the points bracket they should be hovering around you know that's why as we talked about in the article series we are really hesitant to just change points on things because usually if a unit is made it's meant to fill a certain kind of points role in the army as well as a certain like faction role like you know okay this is an offensive tanky unit or you know a defensive unit whatever but it's supposed to be this is a expensive tanky unit. so if you just drop it in points, then it's no longer the expensive thing that's sitting there. It might be conflicting with something else. The Warrior Sons were always meant to be a elite, like, you know, creme de la creme, you know, scary unit yeah. that you were paying for with the ability to just do almost anything you wanted, that versatility. And I that's kind of where they are now. So and I, I really, really like the Warrior Sons. Like that's actually one of my favorite units in the Lannister army. Actually funny enough, them and Halberdiers. Which is another <laughs> thing when people keep saying that, like, oh, you know, he's just going to buff all the units he likes and everything. It's like, well, if you look, um, I was actually overly cautious with the units I liked, typically because I knew I liked them. So, mm. you know, I was always paranoid of like, man, am I making these guys too good because I really like them? Or, you know, that was always something about it, which is why I'm glad that we have Fabio here to kind of rein things in. <laughs> yeah, and I really like the way the, uh, the sub-faction sort of developing of like this sort of faith component of the Lannisters. I'm looking forward to, you know, things like that in future armies, like, you know, the Umbers, Champions of Faith. Uh, speaking of the Champion of Faith, then the unwavering conviction now, when this unit activates, it may make a morale test. On a success, it may restore up to two wounds. On a failure, it restores one wound instead. That's a lot of healing with the changes to Panic. I mean, it's going to be really cool to see the the rise of a lot of these sort of healing mechanics. And man, for a one-point unit, that's going to give a lot of value in some of these Lannister lists. Well, that's mainly to like push the Lannister themes of like sustain and not necessarily defense. Like uh, one of the themes of the Lannister army is, you know, um, control, but their secondary theme is also meant to be one of, again, I don't want to say defense because that implies like defense right. value. Like but attrition just, maybe? Like they, I mean, they, they attrition well. Attrition well, but it's through various means and the faith do it through healing. 
Yeah. Um, versus like the Lancer Guards who do it through their three plus, you know, we're going to grind you out safe. So that's, you know, again, trying to focus things more on the initial like faction designs and just give a purpose because the old Champion of the Faith was giving you offense for passing morale, which doesn't fit any of the core, you know, themes of Lannisters, which is, I think, why you didn't see them. Hmm. And then Jamie Lannister getting another rework here from 1.4 to 1.5. Now he's got Order Kingslayer's Prowess. When he activates, return one of Jamie Commander tactic cards from your discard pile to your hand. Is this a hand pun? Because he's getting extra an extra thing for his hand. Is that no? Is that a stretch? <laughs> oh, I wish. Oh, <laughs> Next. I, thought, I wish I had thought of that. We're but, done here. Oh, oh no, we're done here, um, man. Oh, this is I. I love these sort of card recursion mechanics and. Darn it. This is another one where you're like looking at his commander and you're like, yeah, that's really good. It's not crazy overpowered, but with Jamie's cards and the combos he can do, this is a really compelling choice now. And, you know, to be fair, I don't play Lannister a lot anymore, but God, I can't remember that. Like, I can't remember some of Jamie Lannister's cards. I haven't played him in so long and I haven't faced him in so long. I think that's going to change. Yeah. What, what we expect from that is since his cards are very reactive, mm-hmm. um, he'll be able to dish them out more and Jamie kind of plays in a way where he should be the center of attention so you want to activate his unit sort of first and that will help you later right yeah and there's still some counterplays because your opponent kind of sees what you drew so but just that just that intimidating factor is uh pretty handy and then we're getting into house stark and uh there's been a lot of talk about house stark recently and uh they got some really cool changes as well first off starting with the house tully sworn shields dropping down to six points that is a very uh that's a, a great six point unit uh, was there any particular reason in that design choice um, yeah i guess michael already explained that a little bit in a previous question where in, in this case there was enough room for them to change in points value inside the faction and this adjusts them more to their role and to what they should be doing because Starks had already very very uh good aggressive seven point options and the Starks usually tend to play aggressively so um, it it figures that players would favor these other options yeah, and I think that maybe speaks to the same thing with the Stark Outriders. Um, I feel like they're maybe kind of getting bullied out a little bit of their point range. I know their points didn't change, but I think the the rework to their ability bushwhack, um, now that when the enemies are charged, successfully charged in the flank or rear, they become panicked and weakened. Um, that is uh, gives a significant kind of combo potential with the Stark lists. And you know, we also like up there to hit value there a bit as well. This was another one of those units that was kind of made with the uh, you know better safe than sorry kind of mindset here because cavalry is really strong and scary. So, and this was also you know an initial Stark starter box unit here as well. Not that that factors into too much, but it definitely is like this is going to be people's first foray into the game. Right. Um. So this was one of those ones that kind of fell into that whole you know let's just err on the side of caution with them. And it's like, okay, we might have done a little too much here. So we gave them basically just some attack buffs here and everything. But also, again, wanted to refine their purpose within the faction because, yeah, like Swift Retreat is their defining trait, you know, the whole being able to make a retreat action after they're attacked and then just swing back in. 
but they didn't really synergize with anything based on that ability. They just had this neat ability that like, oh, okay, cool, they can retreat and then charge back in. So <laughs> we wanted to just give them a better focus to, you know, this is what they do. So now, you know, we replaced their other ability with Bushwhack here. So now every time they charge you, they're going to cause you to become panic and weakened. So they're going to have a little bit more self-sustain in the fact that they don't rely on outside forces to just be good. But they're also allowed to combo with the rest of your army by giving something that these Starks didn't really have a lot of access to, especially the Panic. Uh, weekend, and actually, they got a couple of different options in there to play with as well. But so, you know, just, again, giving you a better toolbox to work with and making this an attractive, you know, like basically saying, OK, this is what I want. Uh, this is an element of my army that I want. What is going to help me get that? Then you can look and go like, oh, well, this unit fills that role. This unit fills that role. And if a unit doesn't ever fill a role, like, what what are these guys doing for me? That's where you kind of have to evaluate things. And that seems to be the theme for, like, all of the Stark changes here is you're giving a really, like, a very clear sort of toolbox approach where, you know, now with the changes to Stark Bowman, hitting on a 3-plus uh, at eight eight four, and they have that new arrow volley ability, it still ignores terrain just and units just like before, but now defenders that fail their panic test become weakened and... <laughs> cannot trigger their orders until the end of the round. This is a really cool strategic piece now to include in your army. This was a, like we had an entire article, you know, based around these guys here. So I don't want to dwell too much on them because people can check that out. But this was one of the, the kind of the victims of the faction, you know, in another faction with another toolkit that these guys had access to, it might be a different story whether they're reworked or not. But it happens that these guys are in Starks. They just didn't play well with everything else there. So aside from just a minor change here and everything, these guys had to be given like you know a specific role and purpose. So they actually had to be reworked to give something that was unique in the faction because they play so differently versus any other element that they're up against. Speaking of specific uh, roles in the faction, and maybe Fabio, you can speak to this a little bit. Um, the House Umber Great Axes also got a significant change, and uh, their attack profile increased, but their Executioner's Fury ability, you know, plus one to hit when they start to turn engaged. The defender does not get defense saves at all, and if this unit has only one remaining rank, this attack gains critical blow, and they lost their other ability entirely. Um, what was the thought process behind that? Well, I think that Executioner's Fury, basically what you said is what it already did. And that was being overlooked because um, the, um, most people were playing with the other attack. And now it has a little bit of both. And it really um, is doing what, what the unit is supposed to do. And it with their little neat trick. That's hilarious because I had forgotten that that was actually what Executioner's Fury does because I was so used to getting hit with Mighty Cleave. Uh, you know, so really, yeah, that's 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 a, a good point for design choice here that, um, you know, it was kind of being, it wasn't really being used for this component. Yeah, and now they'll fill their role better and still perform just as well. And I think it goes back to the idea of giving like kind of really interesting choices too when you're building your list out. Um, these guys have a definitive like role and purpose that you use them for, and you don't just use them as like your catch-all, but you know a little bit slow. Uh, some big changes to Brandon Hodor. Uh, I know we had some people on not too long ago on an episode talking about the Starks, 
and they will be thrilled about the decrease in points for Brandon Hoder dropping a point. That becomes a uh, a really uh, compelling investment to get like an additional activation and all the abilities for only for only two points. Um, so I think that's going to be a compelling choice for a lot of community members. And then Great John Umber, the fierce Bannerman, uh, is now having the order overrun. I think that seems like kind of really thematic. Was there a decision for that other than it being uh, thematic? Yeah, it's Fabio's favorite ability in the game. Oh, is it really? Oh, <laughs> uh, overrun. I, I have to watch myself uh, to not put <laughs> overrun in everything, right? <laughs> Oh hey, we could give this guy overrun. Oh hey, we can give this unit overrun. <laughs> oh, you know what? You know, Sansa and Lady overrun. Oh, too soon, too soon. Never too soon. Never forget. She's dead and, because. Oh, and then uh, I think this might be like the sleeper change for like the entire Star faction here. Uh, Roderick Cassell, he's the master at arms. His order marked target. Start of a friendly turn. One enemy in line of sight and long range becomes vulnerable. And he still got exposed opening when targeting vulnerable enemies. The unit may reroll and he misses. Now he doesn't have to be in melee anymore. He's going to have so many options. This is a great playmaker. That was a sheer like quality of life change where like Roderick had powerful cards. He had good effects. They were just hard to utilize, like unreasonably so. So this was just make him do his cool stuff easier so you can feel cool doing cool stuff. I think you've succeed, succeeded. I think he's going to see a lot more play. I actually know, you know, people are still playing him, but man, now he's definitely going to be uh, a, a strong choice. Uh, Rick and Stark decrease in points value. I think, I think that makes sense as well with some of the liabilities being brought around uh, by him. <laughs> and uh, Sirio Pharrell, first blade of Bravos. Um, this is such a cool character, very thematic. Um, your changes to him now. Now he's got first blade's guidance. This unit's melee attacks gain precision. Hits from rolls of six do not allow defense saves. That's going to make him much more compelling for a choice as well. Yeah, and that I think Sirio is one of my favorite characters. And it's it, it was a shame. Yeah, he wasn't being used as much. I definitely think so. Yeah, and I think now though. That's people have a reason it. now to use like Arya and friends. Yeah. Yep, the Arya super friends. <laughs> I, I think we're going to see a lot more of that now with these changes. Um, I'm excited. We're hoping to have a tournament at Mythico Studios in New Jersey. Uh, I think it's like the first 1.5 tournament there is. So we'll all be kind of bumbling through the rules, but we'll have our new units and there's going to be all sorts of new combos. And we might see some uh, Sarah Pharrell there. I'm, I'm hoping. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to rush through this because there's so much to go through here. The neutrals as well. Uh, Roos Bolton getting a decrease in points value. And the House Bolton Bastard Girls, a, uh, a longtime community favorite, especially for the sculpts. Um, I think it had maybe mixed reviews as far as being on the table. Um, I thought it was always pretty strong. But you guys have added Blade and Fang, giving it Vicious. And you kind of just renamed the order um, was there any significant reason to rename the order? I think it was, what, Sikkim before? It was Sikkim, and now it's Charging Volley. Um, the whole thing for that is just standardizing templates. I mean, there's not really an exciting answer there. Um, it's just <laughs> that we didn't want to have, like, okay, this is the same ability somewhere else, but it has a different name. Yeah, I mean, we, we lost theme there, which that's sad, but this is one of those, like, kind of just tidying things up, you know, changes. Yeah. 
Yeah, and once again, since they were a very, they were, they were like wave one, like the, one of the initial units that were thought out, we think that Vicious now, um, especially with the new panic changes, puts them in line because we did review all the units, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's one of the changes that also fits with the new panic rules. This is the I mean, only time. This is your Christmas present, both of you, by the way, because I'm going to make a pun here, but this is throwing a bone oh. to, the, uh, <laughs> to the community. Oh. It's like, I I am still... Okay, I had no problem that we gave these guys Vicious because it thematically fits. They're actually one of my favorite units and one of my favorite factions. Uh, I felt that they were fine before. I've, now, I, I to the point where, like, yes, we gave them Vicious here, that does like just increase their their overall value. Mm-hmm. Um, I still felt that they were a decent you know uh, value before, especially knowing the things that were coming out, which I guess now we can talk about because like we have Stormgroves coming out now. We have yeah. Brawn that existed previously. All of those were just like these are fine options here. Adding Vicious here just kind of makes this unit gives it just enough to make it accessible to people. There's always those units that, you know, they have a a high, like, skill cap that, you know, you have to be mindful of because if you buff them or make them too good, then the people who are really, really good with them are going to become terrifyingly good. (laughs) At the same time, though, you want things to be accessible. Like, you don't want people to have to devote extra, you know, it's the Roderick situation. Like, this guy's really cool. He does a lot of neat stuff, but he's just really hard to play. And I've got to devote so much more you know, study and understanding of how he works to make him work yeah. versus other options. And that was sometimes, the same thing. Sometimes we'll talk about that as being like the burden of execution where it's like, I can do this with this unit, but I have to work so much harder than if I just took that. Um, and, you know, I think to that point, uh, in maybe a different way, um, I think maybe the House Bolton Flademan kind of suffered a little bit from that in 1.4, now that they're nine points, they've got three plus armor save and they've got ferocious assault. So now when enemies successfully are charged by this unit, they become panicked. Um, it seems like you're trying to move them away from being so much of like a like an objective bunker. Is that accurate? Well, I've got strong opinions of this unit. And sorry, Fabio, I'm gonna I'm gonna claim this one here. Because <laughs> yeah, this is I, actually one I, of those. <laughs> this was one of those changes that was made specifically i feel just to um and people aren't going to like hearing this but you know that's fine you can not like opinions um this was a change made to instill people being better players mm. because this was a crutch unit that out of most any other unit that exists in the game this one required the least amount of effort for the player to succeed at in regards to your opponent is the one that had to know how to deal with these. You are more often rewarded for the opponent not knowing how to properly deal with them than right. you were for yourself properly playing them in a tactical way. Correct. You could make a bunch of mistakes, you could make a bunch of for- like bad plays and be forgiven if your opponent did not know how to capitalize and optimize that. And that is, to me, an opposite design philosophy that you want for any unit. You need to be rewarded for properly playing and being rewarded for knowing how to you know, field a unit. You should not be, it shouldn't be on your opponent to go like, okay, I know the answer, so therefore these guys are not going to be a problem. Or I don't know the answer, I can't do anything about these guys. Uh, these were like the quintessential like new player stompers <laughs> so so uh you've uh you've spared some people such a rough entry into the game for sure 
Right. And I, at worst, like this, and of course, you know, this is going to sound more insulting, but this is for like, this made some players lazy, like as far mm. as their tactics and everything went, because they knew they could just throw them out there and, you know, okay, I don't have to think. And that's, mm -hmm. I never, never want to see something like that that exists in the game. I always want you, you have to think about everything that you're doing and you have to worry yeah. about every choice you make. Uh, and I think that is so apparent in everywhere else in the game. And, and that's really kind of a staple of this. I know where um, we talked about this before the show, but I you know I've had a lot of people from other gaming systems that have been recently showing interest in a song of ice and fire and just commenting on how, you know, back and forth and cerebral the game is. And, uh, you know, I feel like this, this change definitely brings them more in line with the overall like feel and, and uh, you know, mechanical theme of the game. Uh, another change, though, then was Varus. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't got a, quite a chance to see if the community's response to this is, you know, sort of positive or negative, uh, but he's moved his points up to five points, and then you modified his ability timing. What was kind of the, the, the logic behind that? Well, the, the timing was just because there were lots of confusions around it, and that just streamlines. But and... now when an, when an NCU activates... So now you would use him uh, not when they claim a tactic zone. So if I'm like, hey, I'm going to activate Mance Raider, um, you would then use his token? Yeah. So it kind of gives me some options there for counterplay a little bit. Uh, there's that exact word that I was going, waiting to use, but you beat me to it. Um, it opens up avenues for counterplay around his ability versus it just being a straight denial thing. Now it's uh, going back to the cerebral thing that you actually just mentioned. Now, okay, I just got Varist. Before it was like, well, crap, I got Varist. Yeah, now it's, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, but now it's, I got Varist. Okay, now what do I do? Yeah. Now I've got limited options. Yes, now how am I going to work around that? Man, that's another really smart change. Uh, I just love where this game is going. You guys are really, you're really killing it here. Um, because he's still very, very powerful, but now you're actually just forcing more. It's like not only you're spending your token, but you're forcing your opponent to like use brain energy now to like make more decisions. Yeah, it's like we always like you keep saying we're killing it. Like, yeah, just like killing it, just like a dire wolf. Uh, oh, don't 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 go there too too soon. I'll get messages again. So, I mean, that's the the neutral. The, okay, well, actually, if we're gonna go controversial. Then, um, you know. There's been one part of the community that we haven't had too many complaints from. Uh, you know, they got their shiny war machine throwing rocks at people. Um, but uh, we haven't heard a lot from the Night's Watch. So uh, there have been some Night's Watch changes, and I think these are very sensical. Like, they make a lot of sense. Uh, for a long time, the Swarm Brothers have been talked about being, you know, they're on that, the top of that bell curve for power at their point level, in a very efficient unit. Uh, but now we have an increase in the Swarm Brothers to seven points, and they've gone up. Uh, they have plus one to their, their full rank, so they're at eight attack dice. They still got Critical Blow and Sundering. Um, I know people are going to be upset, some people, right? It's going to change their list building up. So now when they build a Night's Watch list, it isn't just uh, how many Swarm Brothers can I fit and then, <laughs> you know, Jon Snow veterans or whatever. Um, but, you know... I think really this makes a lot of sense. They really uh, are point costed at like seven points. And especially with that, you know, giving them plus one to, 
their attack profile. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great seven point unit. Yeah. Uh, there's actually a funny story. I told some of my non Night's Watch play testers, right? I'm like, guys, I'm thinking that maybe Sworn Brothers should co cost a point more. And they're, they're like, wow, it's going to be eight points. And then I'm like, <laughs> it's six right now. Yeah. <laughs> We're going <Yeah>. seven. <laughs> oh man. So yeah. yeah, they really feel like a seven. Um, and so, and obviously Night's Watch hasn't been out that long. We do not want to do many change. We did not want to do many changes on them because we feel most of it is fine and we need to collect more info if, if we have to change anything. But th this little change is, and the next one are the, just the two that we felt. Yeah. And the next one is you, you, uh, increased Bowen Marsh's points value again. Um, you know, in the end, I almost see this more as a, not a buff, but like, I wanted to say like, it's a buff to all their other units because now you're like, Oh, like Swarm Brothers of seven points. Like, well, maybe I, I do want to take Ranger trackers or maybe conscripts are really, I want to be taking, um, you know, it makes the other options available um, more palatable. Well, this is going to be one of those just like, you know, controversial things because, you know, people are going to have their opinions on this like they do everything. But the design intent behind Night's Watches is supposed to be a very condensed elite army that, you know, has a lot of very cool expensive units that you're basically, they're really good and you're buffing them even further by the other elements in the faction. And Sworn Brothers were throwing that kind of uh, meta off by their by the being efficient. But this is getting back almost circling way back to the beginning here, what we're talking about when you're looking at points adjustments and things like that. These guys got a points adjustment for the opposite reason that most anything ever else would is the fact that by a unit existing in what is supposed to be a elite faction at this points level is throwing off the nature of this being an elite faction. Hmm. So now, like, you look at this. They don't have a five-point baseline unit. They don't have right. a six-point baseline unit. Their stuff starts at seven because it's that cool and it goes higher. They've got chafe units <laughs> and everything here, conscripts at four, but you're getting negatives for taking those. Right. Not negatives, but you're losing out on some of your cool stuff here. You can take neutrals to fill in that, but you're losing out on some of your faction mechanics and the, you know, your vows. I mean, the faction by design... Is supposed to be those people who want a small number of like really cool badass guys to play, and Swarm Brothers were unfortunately just too efficient for their points level, and they were throwing off that whole dynamic because it was really hard to justify taking some other options when you have this super efficient for their points six point unit, and if you just made them worse for six points, okay, well at that point you still have access to a six point unit, so that that's not getting to the root thing we wanted to fix. It wasn't a matter of like this unit is individually too strong or too optimized because they were if we just thought that they were just too cheap, then it would be a matter of just, OK, bump their points up. No other changes. But we saw we actually did give them a small buff. And it's again because this was a change that was done for the overall faction health, even though I think a lot of people are going to view it as just like the unit. And I'm not going to say that didn't play a part in it, but this is these changes were done for overall faction health more than it was just the specific. Um, the specific pros and cons of these two units, you know, Bowen and uh, Swarm Brothers. I think it makes sense. And then, um, you know, I think 
for a lot of people have accused me of being a little bit uh, biased towards free folk, uh, but I can think that we could probably say that the coolest change out of all of 1.5 is the change to Spearwives, uh, dropping them by a point. So there's been so much talk about how can Spearwives change or how can we maybe use them more? And um, people talk about increasing their you know stats or giving other abilities um, just by doing this small tweak. And this is what I think has been so great about a lot of your changes is dropping them down one point when I first saw that, I was like, what? I, I don't know. And then I looked and I was like, oh, they're really powerful at four points. But trackers are, uh, you know, but trackers are also, trappers are also really cool. But trappers have insignificant, spearwives don't. They're so powerful at four. Do, you know, and, I, and I'm like, I'm really in this spot where like, I, I kind of really do want to take them, but there is a downside. And I feel like that's the, I feel like that's the sweet spot when I'm like sitting here, like debilitated, you know, debilitated, trying to be like, do I want to feel this always? Not always. Sometimes uh, it just shows that you guys have found like a really great, like a, that sweet spot for design. I'd like to take a moment, by the way, to plug my podcast, Song Chat, our new platinum level sponsor on the table gaming for their <laughs> generous uh, independent donation uh, to become that new platinum sponsor level. And it has nothing in slightest to do with the uh, lowering points of Spearwives. Completely unrelated, by the way. Is that how it works? Because I, I will go triple platinum if there's a... No. Let's see, what else do we have? I don't know. Hmm. Uh, you can make your uh, subscription up to cash. Okay, fair enough. No, but but seriously, this is a great... Like, this is a, a subtle tweak. Uh, it's The unit didn't change in any way besides just now being compared against another option that makes a really compelling choice. I'll, so, so Fabio worked on the... Uh, was The Free Folk were one of the, the first things that he... Um, they were kind of wrapped up a little bit before he came on, but he had a lot of exposure to them. So I'm going to let him like speak a lot about the Spearwise. But just one, the coolest thing for me that changed for them is that by dropping them to four points, that means that, so let's look at them comparatively the way they, eh. let's look at them comparative to where they, the way they were before five points. Now I've got a point opened up that I can stick in this very versatile unit that's got a ver versatile, okay, melee attack, ranged mm -hmm. attack, that they can use they're to me a one point attachment bunker that how do i want these guys to do i want to yeah. put a um of chosen of styre in here with them so they can just at range sit there and throw out some you know weekend or maybe even charge in do i want to stick in a uh ooh, i almost let things slip for you know some future things what <laughs> oh um I will I will leave it at that. They're a they're an attachment bunker to me at four points. Um much more and a role for that more befitting than something like in trappers. Trappers have a very defined role, a very insignificant role here, but now Spearwives, you know, the jack of all trades unit here that can just be kind of crafted to do what you want. Yeah, and seven seven three is a great attack profile um at that cost for free folk. Well, I'd say that even before, they were pretty interesting attachment bunkers. But yeah, now they actually fit better because at five points, uh, right now, Free Folk has great options like cave dwellers that are also sort of jacks of all trades, but in a, in a different manner. And they just feel more like, you know, oppressive at five points, like the cave dweller savages and the Free Folk Spearwives did. Um, on the table, they they seem to have the more dramatic impact because they're the ones like finishing off weakened units with like cool abilities and choices. 
So it always made uh, Spearwise feel kind of like the, you know, the, the lesser child at that point range. Yeah, but uh, I'd say when I joined Simon, it was around uh, the beginning of uh, Freefall Hero Box 1. We, mm -hmm. we were doing that, I think. And so most of uh, the options there were already uh, sort of made, and I was allowed to tweak them a little bit. And when, when I arrived and I saw that, to me, they were sort of already given because we knew they were already going to be launched and we couldn't really change them. So I, I don't know, I, I've always managed to use them in like a little, like try, trying to be creative. And I, we already knew of some attachments that were coming <laughs> uh, that Michael almost spoiled. But oh. So what they, I'm getting is that there's going to be some really stuff here that are going to be even better for Prefo. Gosh, no, okay. no. <laughs> I'm excited now. <laughs> oh, man. But no, I, I mean, I don't want to tease. Allegedly, allegedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, no, they're not you. like just like, <laughs> The ideal place for that you can put this attachment anywhere but but i'd say they were sort of given and when we decided to put them down to four they really uh, increased value in the army just because of the interesting options they opened this is and, one of those units that like they wouldn't work in a another army at the point cost but because and this is something just general thing as well that when people start comparing units cross factions and everything mm -hmm. that just it doesn't work for so many reasons i mean you can do it obviously but i mean like you have to so many variables to factor in spear wives at five points um sorry at four points you know in any other army would be insane mm -hmm. insane uh, yeah even at five points they're not a bad unit in other armies but just the fact that like in free folk five points is expensive the yeah. fact that that phrase exists should already be <laughs> evident that you can't cross-faction compare things. Yeah. And since free folk can't um, have neutrals, uh, that also gives us a lot of options. So that makes them unique in a sort of way that mm -hmm. other factions are not. And so with all these changes, there also came a lot of rule changes. In the interest of time, let's just talk about some of the more uh, maybe the ones that haven't been already kind of gone over in some of the articles, um, and so uh, or that are very significant and and uh, you know people need to be fully aware of. So I think maybe starting off charging is a huge change, and uh, you mentioned that it also you know earlier with halberdiers that it's going to help you know give them a little more defensibility. So you know what was the idea behind the the charging um, changes? Well, I'd say that before, uh, the, the way people were charging meant that players that positioned themselves well in a defensive uh, capability weren't being rewarded for doing so, and that requires a lot of planning and positioning. So we did these changes not only uh, to streamline things, but also to reward these players that can create defensive formations which before uh, were being sort of uh, cheated out of them by having their trays moved, for example. Mm -hmm. That this is not part of the platinum uh, song chat uh, <laughs> buffs for free folk. <laughs> uh, no, I'd say this is uh, not really a buff. This is just a game improvement as a yeah. whole. Yeah. 
And I think it does clear it up too. And it's going to be a lot more definitive for players. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, there'll be less kind of trying to figure things out. It's kind of a, a clear, hard rule. I mean, this whole thing is just done to just reward positioning more. Whereas to be frank, you know, before there were too many ways to just easily bypass what should have been a proper defensive formation set up by someone. Yeah. I think that makes so sense. Now, like, you know, if someone's actively trying to make a defense, you know, uh, for their units, they are rewarded for doing so versus just like, oh, you tried, but guess what? I can just bypass that super easily. Because it's still uh, going to be a standard. Sorry, just one last thing. Go ahead. Because it's still going to be like the standard situation here where if someone is actively blocking a flank or creating a defensive line, that's not something that just randomly happened. Well, I mean, there's the potential that just randomly happened, but usually they worked for it. So they should be rewarded for doing so. And then we had still some changes now to the resolving attack steps. Um, and so you've added in some some bulleted lines to this process now. Um, so, um, you know, what's going on there? What does the community need to know about that change? Um, yeah, well, a lot of questions were coming up about um, when is an attack resolved or when are uh, attack dice uh, rolled? Like, what does after attack dice are rolled uh, mean, for example? Um, is that before or after the reroll? Um, and so on. And that was just a way of tightening things up. So now we have um, just a very clear explanation of all the steps and uh, when triggers should be in, uh, I guess. And that also means that uh, we also explain better when an attack ends. So this also helps to clear uh, just questions in general about other interactions in the game like tactics, cards, and so on. Yeah, this didn't actually lead to any um, like rules changes or overhauls. This is like purely a clarification run here where you know this is how it played before. Now it's just easier to understand, which is a lot of you know, what these changes were meant to do. Um, and you, you, you triggered, because I thought we were going to talk about that specific reroll thing that um, I get so triggered about because oh, we actually... Tell us about these rerolls. Oh, boy. All right, kids, gather around. Sit a spell. We'll talk about this. <laughs> Uh, this one's like Fabio has heard me vent about this so much, and I'm I'm sorry. I <laughs> this one goes I, out to all the rules lawyers. Is that is this uh is this dedicated to? I respect your technical ability to read <laughs> the very technical and precise wording of a rule and come to a conclusion that you know deep down in your heart is absolutely just the wrong way to interpret <laughs> something, and then fervently stick by that under any cost. <laughs> 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 Oh, blood pressure. Uh, <laughs> um, one line in the rule book in the FAQ that we did modify was specifically clarifying that it does not physically matter who is rolling the dice as part of a re-roll. It is who is generating the effect of that re-roll. Now, if you were confused by that sentence, it's okay. <laughs> that only means that you are sane. <laughs> <laughs> So this actually came up more than once, which is why I actually went in here and addressed it, was by the way the rules are written, it says that a player may not re-roll a die more than once. Okay. By the wording of condition tokens, it says you may force your opponent to re-roll X dice for whatever check they're doing. So therefore, some lovely individuals were arguing, 
oh, well, they're rolling the dice. And then if they have a reroll effect, like from charging, they would reroll. But then if I try to spend a weekend token on them, because it says they're physically the one rolling the die and that a player can't roll a die more than once, then that actually doesn't work. So that can oh, never happen. Okay. But, you're the one, <laughs> but you're the one causing the reroll, the opponent. That's that's what that is meant to say. It's like, but it but this rule is specifically talking about physically who rolls the dice. I'm like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> and that this is your argument. Yeah. Aren't you aren't you, you glad and, the community or some members of the community are out here and can torment you with uh, things like this? I would have a respect <laughs> if it was kind of a trolling attempt. But the problem is, is that it's they're they're they've actually believe this. That's <laughs> that's where we cross a line into. I don't want to believe that you exist. <laughs> You're just trying to mess with me. Okay, sure, that's one thing. But you actually believe this? Well, you guys have done such a good job with these changes. I'm really excited to get more games within it. We've got that tournament coming up at Mythicos at the end of the at the end of the week, and I'm sure we'll be all going through and double checking the rules and combing over to make sure we're getting all the changes correct. Um, but um, you know, I hope you guys realize that what you've done is like really incredible. And uh, you know, I don't know if you have a sense of pride that you feel with this coming out, but um, the game was already amazing, and it's really moving in a in a positive position. And I think. Uh, these changes just further cement that status. And I'm, I'm glad to see that the community is growing in our area. There's a lot of people from more seasoned war gamers that are looking now at this game as it's being played and are really liking the mechanics. A lot of, um, so we've always had a, a kind of a good pull, at least in my area of people that are like kind of more casual gamers, but pulling in people that are really more technical and competitive players. They're loving the rule set. And these changes are just, you know, a huge step in the right direction. So um, you know, just uh, while I have you here, I know a tip of the hat, um, cause you guys are, you know, like I said, I keep saying you're killing it, but things are really looking good for this game. Well, thanks. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but honestly, uh, I, I speak for myself, but, uh, I, we really love, I re I really love what I do and, uh, I hope that people can see that we put in a lot of effort and we did review everything and we did try to catch everything under our net and that these changes might seem really big but if you look at them they're just really making uh the game more streamlined for the greater good there we go <laughs> well thank you guys for coming on here and uh you know i always enjoy talking to you and i and thanks for taking the time uh, on this evening to uh, to talk about Song of Ice and Fire. In the meantime, I hope you get your miniatures on the table. <laughs>